0: Shkelipsis, which is welcome in Uzbek, which is the language of Uzbekistan, of course. Uh, Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am your podcast host and the creator of Daddy Unscripted. I'm very excited to have you guys all back again for the second half of my conversation with Brian Brinkman. Brian and I, in our first episode, talked a lot about His dad and him being a dad and what that all meant And we talked a bit about music and whatnot But in this episode, we are going to go a lot more into music Not just into Fish, okay, just so you know He is a one half of the Beyond the Pond podcast Which is about music outside of Fish But connecting it to Fish for all you Fish fans out there but again, like I said in the first episode, it is a very meaningful podcast and it is very easily connected for people who are not fish fans. I learned of a ton of great music from that podcast. And it wasn't just because I was a fish fan, it was because I'd never heard of these bands that they are playing and leading you into. So make sure that you check out Beyond the Pond podcast which is also a part of the Osiris Podcast Network, like Daddy Unscripted. And here is a little info about that for you. Osiris. Hey, this is Adam Chase with Jazz's Fish. Then you know, Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experience about artists and topics you love. Go to OsirisPod.com, get in the loop. Relics Magazine is helping them out. Check out Relics.com, check out Jazz's These are some of the best guys in the business and uh, we love you supporting music. music. Okay. I like letting other people tell you about the Osiris Network. It kind of makes it a little fun, throws in another voice into the podcast, so you don't always have to hear mine, and I don't have to keep talking as much. So speaking of that, let's get right to the episode with myself and Brian, talking about mostly music, but some other stuff as well. All right, and I am here for the second half of my conversation now with Brian Brinkman. Uh, Brian, if you didn't listen to our first conversation, we did not end it with promising any lottery winning numbers in this. So I don't know who told you about that, but it's false information. And we did not give that. Out. Actually, we gave that out in the first episode. Is what I meant to say. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, you should go back because that's where the. It's like my free beer tomorrow sign, I guess, that I'm giving to all of you.
1: <laughs> that's just going to keep
0: <laughs> leading you in a circle on these two episodes that you're going to just have to try listening to to find the uh, Da Vinci Code or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you got to press these episodes onto vinyl and backward (laughs) mask them there we go (laughs) they're in the backward recording i'm sure of it uh but the first half of our conversation was uh, very heavily steeped in the whole fatherhood daddy side of things but also touched a lot on the line that music created between you and your dad and i think we will go a lot more kind of into what that has been and tie that into the podcast that Brian is a big part of, which is called beyond the pond, which as I said in the intro is also part of the Osiris podcast network, uh, that daddy unscripted is on. And that is how this has all kind of come to be. So thank you to Osiris for making fantastic things happen as usual. But Brian, thanks for sticking around for, more conversation
2: absolutely this has been a has been a really fun evening for me so thank you
0: yeah of course that's as i said in the first episode like i do really get something out of this and for me i don't know how it is for you i i have my friends one of my big benefits is i i work with and for one of my brothers um my brother that i'm like like we said in the first episode my 18 month different basically twin brother and uh my one of my best friends since i was maybe 19 years old i share an office with so i've got a pretty good deal where i get to talk a lot with these guys that i get along very well with but outside of that like it's it's tough finding time to just kind of hang out and talk with guys when you when you're a dad and when you have a family and you have a job and um, it is difficult to kind of find that time so for me this is that is another little perk and bonus of this podcast is not only getting to hear all of the different stories and everything from these guys but uh, I have had the very fantastic privilege of talking with a lot of fantastic, dads that it is like a really cool conversation that i'm getting to have and be able to spend that time with trying to make this not too goofy sounding but with cool other guys that most of them i have at least something in common with which is being a dad
2: yeah i mean i i share that sentiment and that challenge as well it's uh it's it's weird how I always joke to people whenever they meet friends of mine who I met on Twitter. I always say that Twitter is like a dating site for fish fans who are dead. <laughs> um, at least, you know, the corner of the Twitterverse that we use because yeah, it's, 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 it's hard and it's, it's rare. I mean, I work for a very <clears throat> young company and there aren't a lot of dads there and there aren't a lot of, hmm you know, situations for me on like a day to day basis where I get to just kind of, you know, talk about life with someone who like gets the positives and the challenges and the highs and lows that you go through when you become a parent. And um, I know, you know, as much as I love talking about fish and talking about music with my podcast co-host Dave, um, I think you know we always joke that we're going to release a blooper episode that's just going to be us talking about our kids and talking about when we <laughs> when we hate our baseball teams cuz they're losing in inexplicable ways and it'll be really boring for everybody else but us and maybe like a handful of dads and cubs and Mets fans but um yeah it's 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 one of the reasons that kind of attracted me to you know doing that whole project with him and i think that's one of the, it's been one of the more fulfilling aspects of it from a personal level as well
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you just created the fantastic segue. So, well, no, actually, I'm not going to let us use that one because I want to go back a little (laughs) bit into the history because we, we did, like I said, we did talk a lot about the music side of uh, your life, but we didn't ever talk about. So how did you even get into fish and where did, where did that all start for you?
2: um so i was like freshman sophomore in high school and i started seeing people wear the fish t-shirt and i thought it was just like one of those logos that like popped out to you and
1: Mm -hmm.
2: something really appealing about it i don't know i had a friend in a math class who told me once about you gotta listen to fish they just played an all-night show for the millennium and like that just concept that was like 1960s america to me that was
1: Mm-hmm. I like music
2: that my dad had always told me about. And I think I, I got a live one. I think I got Rift. I think that was it. Maybe I'd heard Farmhouse. I don't know. You know I, I had like scattered little pieces here and there that were just kind of bought out of curiosity and nothing ever like fully clicked. And then um, that spring of my sophomore year, my mom got me bittersweet motel for my birthday and I'm mm. not really sure why. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we <laughs> could really tell you why, but she did. And, um, I'll forever thank her for it. I, I mm. think that she is wondering, you know, like that gift that she gave me, like what it's led to like, Oh, my right. God. Um, but I, I remember, you know, they opened the, the movie with, with them playing them rehearsing and then playing the second ever version of um, Brian and Robert. Yeah. I didn't know the name of the song at the time. I just knew I really liked it. And it was unlike anything I'd ever heard from fish. And it was unlike anything I'd ever really expected to hear from them. It was only later that I found out the name of it, which is my, my name is Brian Robert Brinkman. Uh, Oh, wow. So that like, you know, at a later point when I found that out, like hit me on a, on a really, really big level. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember watching that documentary and like, that was like the moment where like finally connected. And it was just this fact that like these four complete nerds who Mm -hmm. so into what they were doing and it was so pure and they there were no advertisements, and there was no like like there's a light show, but there's no like pyrotechnic show in the sense of like this like cheesy like eighties rock show. And you know you talk about the first concert I ever saw Pop Mart. I mean a fish show is like the complete opposite of what you two did during Pop Mart. A fish show is literally a stage a band their gear and lights and then the music is the show yeah and i just i don't know i loved the images of them like you know rehearsing and talking about chord changes and writing songs together and then trey talking about his influences and playing half-written songs and the the you know the great went and this idea that there's this like city that they just built in the middle of nowhere in northern maine and they play like you know some of the best music that they've ever played happened just one random weekend in 1997. Like I was just blown away, which I remember telling a friend of mine I wanted to go to the Great Wend after I saw that, thinking it was like an every year,
0: thing. every year thing. Yeah, they you know,
2: like, yeah. The like fish fan in me now would like slap myself <laughs> for that. Like, <laughs> yeah. and my friend was like, I think that was just like a one time thing. Uh, like they they called it something else the next year. So, so that was like really where like my curiosity peaked. It wasn't though until that that summer of two thousand one, I went to I, I went I grew up going to this summer camp like two and a half hours away from my parents' house for like every summer when I was a kid into my teenage years, and I became a counselor there, and and I would spend my whole summers up there, and it was the best. I mean, I was in high school, and it's where I you know did everything I shouldn't have done. I got it out of my system there. And, you know, grew up in a lot of ways and met some of like the best people I've ever met in my entire life. And one of them, this guy, Aaron Klein, came up to me like the second day of that summer. I was wearing one of those Dave Matthews Dancing Nancy shirts. And he was like, are you Dave fan? I said, yeah. And he was like, do you like fish? And I said, yeah, I kind of, you know, I I do. And he was like, all right, I got CDs for you. And he gave (laughs) me... The tape of 1117, 1994, from the Herrera Arena in Dayton, Ohio, 914, 1999, Boise State Pavilion, um, and then uh, ten seven 2000, Shoreline Amphitheater, the last show of the hiatus. And he was like, listen to these, tell me what you think. If you like it, we'll do something about it. And I didn't really know mm-hmm. what that meant. Uh, <laughs> but, I remember I put on the hair arena show first and um, they opened up with Helter Skelter, which coincidentally my, the first movie I saw in the theaters was rattle and hum like 15 years prior to that.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: they opened that with Helter Skelter. And so it was like another, just like connection point where I was like, Oh my God, this is like part of like musical lineage for me. And uh, the ACDC bag from the Boise pavilion just blew me away. And, I loved listening to the shoreline show and just like hearing what a band sounded like on the last day that they ever played together. And that just like, Mm -hmm. it just fascinated me. And you know, a couple days later I went back to him. I was like, I I love it. I need more. I need more. And um, he was like, all right, Trey and Trey band are playing at Alpine Valley in mid July. Um, Do you think you can stay that weekend? And we'll, we'll go to the show together. And Alpine Valley was just down the road from this camp. I called my parents. and I was like, I want to go to this concert. They let me go for some reason. And a- another moment, I think they probably wished that they had. Back. <laughs> yeah. And that was like the total life changing moment. I remember pulling into the lot and seeing all these people my age and older who were just like on the road. And mm-hmm. they stopped at this grassy field and were' selling I had a grilled cheese sandwich that was like it's like one of the best things I'd ever eaten and
0: there's your golden ticket right there right
2: there i had <laughs> I experienced it all. I will just say that, and we go into the show we sat on the lawn and have you ever been to alpine Valley?
0: No, no, I haven't it's, unfortunately
2: it's I know fish is from the Northeast and i have never been to sugarbush. I can't totally say this, but it's as close to seeing fish in actual game henge as I've ever experienced.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: On a just like perfect summer night. It's so green and so vibrant and it smells perfect. And the wooden shed above, I mean, it's just, it's, it's my favorite venue to see them at. And, I've seen some of my favorite shows of theirs at, and 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 this was my first experience there. And I remember I just didn't stop dancing and the entire Mm -hmm. show, I felt like I was hearing new sounds that made so much sense to me that connected with me in a way that I'd never expected before. And I'd never, you know, like realized I had like those feelings or I felt that way before. And it was really for me that he played burlap sack and pumps midway through the second set. And um, that show in particular, Ray Patschowski was out for like a week of that tour, and John Modesky was sitting in. And hmm. Trey and John Medesky engaged in this organ and guitar and clavinet duel for like 20 minutes, it felt like. Wow. And I just closed my eyes and I just like danced. I remember like consciously feeling like I was more myself than I'd ever been before. And I left the show just being like, I have to have more of that, like right now. And that was it. From there on, there was literally no turning back. And aside from maybe like a two year period between them breaking up in 04 and 09, where I really just got into a lot of other music because I kind of was convinced they were never going to get back together. Um, you know, still listen to them here and there. But like, aside from that, like that was the moment where I was just, there was no other band that was ever going to compare to 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 Meat and Fish.
0: Yeah, that was, um, I had actually, now that you say that all, I I wasn't really thinking about it at that time because I hadn't seen that much, fish either before that trey tour uh but we went to see them that tour down in san diego and it was it was amazing it was so good and i've always been even though i know a lot of people say it's dad rock now i think that's the fun poke at trey band is calling it dad rock Mm -hmm. But I will always have a soft spot in my heart for a horn section. Um, And I love Hartswick. And I love Ray. I think he brings so many good sounds and layers and textures uh, to the music. And, And you can see, like, I know it's a different space for Trey because it's in between fish stuff even now to this day even though it may not be during a hiatus but you can see a a different kind of joy that he is getting from playing in that band and so sorry I kind of got away from that but I, I I really loved that show and that was my first time seeing them and on the way back Um, historically, this was a big moment because it was the first time that I played Umphreys for my brother and tried to get him into listening to Umphreys. And I I can't even say what show it was, but Resolution uh, was one of the songs that came on that has, there's a section where they sing like they are Satanic demons and go into a deep voice of singing and it's kind of creepyish, but very humorous. And I think the first time they did that on that song, which may have been the first or second song that I played, my brother and his wife was in the car as well, and they kind of looked and were like, "What? What is this? This is this is not good. We don't like this." <laughs> and so it was. It was a, a quite a bit after that where I finally found his. Uh, the sweet spot in his ears for umphreys and we have motored on on along with them from that time on but yeah i remember that 2001 being that time that like i was saying at the beginning sorry uh, this i'm having two there are two tea bags in my tea right now so it may be taking me to a different mindset right (laughs) now i'm not sure what's going on (laughs) but um that it didn't hit me that that was during the hiatus and that was a very big moment and a very kind of cool filler because really at that point, I don't think so. Did you, we didn't know it was a hiatus, right? We knew it was over.
2: Uh, in like Oh one Oh two.
0: Yeah. So like when they, when they stepped away, I can't, I can't remember.
2: As was explained to me in the moment by Aaron Klein was they'll be back like there was a confidence in his voice that they would come back Mm -hmm. I expected them to come back I didn't know when but I expected it Um, I think when they announced it they almost said you know we need to take a break and we don't know how long this is gonna like we don't know what our plan is I know when they broke up in 04 I mean that was as clear as it could have been that I, right. They're I, I done. never expected them to get back together.
0: And after Coventry, did you want them to get back together? No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, Sorry. no. Sorry, I,
2: I I um, I mean, I was so I went to Coventry. I was I was 19. Oh gosh. And um I don't think I had tickets to any show that summer Oh four. And I think I was okay with that. And I was just like, okay, they'll probably play this fall. And um I was walking into Summer School. I was at college at that point. My best friend called me and said, you got to go to fish.com. And so I ran into the library and um, jumped up on fish.com and saw the letter. And I quickly called my mom and was like, I'm I'm going to – I got to go to this show. And at the end of the summer, it's festival. And she was like, this is the line. This is where it's drawn. And I Mm -hmm. called another one of my friends and was like, you know, it's just not going to happen. I'm I'm not going to be able to go. And he was like, screw your mom. I'm buying your ticket. You're going to the show. And so I ended up going. And it was a hilarious disaster. One of my best friends and I got rides off of um, two guys on fantasytour.com. Oh, boy. (laughs) We flew into Albany, New York, met them, drove up and over, spent like 24 hours in traffic or something crazy like that, got rained on the entire time. And it was just like our, our, the whole camping situation was in h- horrible conditions and, and the shows were just depressingly awful. And, and I remember having these like two sentiments of, I don't want you guys to break up. I'm 19 years old. Like I'm at that age where I can now suddenly go on tour and I can, like yeah. I don't have any responsibilities. Like I'm literally, I'm in college. Like I'll, I'll just jump on, you know, I'll, I'll go and see as much fish as I want to now. And, um, at the same time, like, there are some really ugly moments in those shows, and there were Trey, especially, was really hurting as a person. And I think, um, really needed that break and needed that time because I think, in hindsight, you know, if anyone's seen Fish in the last, especially five, six years, it, really nothing like you never could have imagined the band would be playing the way that they are if you were seeing them at that point in time. Mm
0: -hmm. Ooh, that would be a good, maybe controversial hot take on Twitter of there would be no amazing fish 3.0 without the break and Coventry.
2: I, I mean that to me, that, that is so true. I, I fully, you know, I, I don't know everything that led to Coventry. I've heard rumors and have heard things to spell to be true and to spell to be false. Um, Yeah. You know, I've never heard anything from the band confirming anything that goes around the community about what was going on at that time. But, you know, based on where they were in Oh four, you know, there were, it was, it was a pretty bleak period And I think the fact that Trey survived that and then went into this personal rebirth and Renaissance and became really healthy and very, you know, his songwriting became very, very hopeful and, um, very loving towards all people. And, Mm -hmm.
1: um,
2: you know, not that it wasn't before, but like it was, he'd gone through a personal hell and come out on the other side of it, you know, and then the band, you know, if you listen to early 3.0, you hear them really trying to figure out, can they even communicate the way that they once did right. before? Yeah. And, and I saw the the 831 2012 show at, at Dick's, the, the, the fuck your face show, where they spelled out that song, and forced mm-hmm. themselves to jam. And it was like this transformative moment. And really from there, I mean, there were some moments before that, but like from that moment on, they've been... It's, it's as if they took all the darkness and finally were comfortable with embracing it while also knew that they were finally free to look forward and, and to move forward as a band and to play in a way that they were comfortable with now. And they've only continued to get better over the years. I mean, you listen to any jams over the last six years and it's just um, it's like a completely different band.
0: Totally. Even like the last three, four years, it's, yeah, it's, it really is crazy if you think about it. I mean, you can throw their ages into it if you want, but for how long they've been playing, and sure, let's throw their ages into it, for how old they are and the ages that they have gone through over the past decade or the past taking it back to that hiatus 14, 15 years. It is pretty I, I if they were in sports, they would be getting accused of uh steroids.
2: <laughs> totally.
0: <laughs> because there's there's no way, you know, their their musical uh heads and necks are too big and they are, I mean, so good right now. It really is remarkable for them to make that transition from how kind of the downward uh, stroke that it was taking leading up to that ending in 04 to how ridiculously, not only individually, but like you were saying, the the conversation that is happening between them right now and on stage is so crystal clear. It really is like, When you were talking about them, then them coming out of the darkness and everything, I was kind of envisioning like somebody breaking these chains and this dark shell like breaking and the beams of light coming out. And it really is like there was all of this stuff going on that was clogging their onstage communication around that time that they weren't connecting in the way that they once were. And now they are like on. Some massive internet highway between each other um, that is like so clear to see.
2: Yeah, I've recently, and I think part of this is with age, and I've really become obsessed with like listening to my favorite artists when they are kind of in their middle age albums and more so like that later stage renaissance for like a, an artist that I think immediately of like Neil Young and Bob Dylan as like artists that they peaked when they were like in their twenties, they went through a ton of crap and then they made these amazing records again when they were in their forties and fifties and even sixties. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I've, I've gotten to the point, you know, where so much of like my youth and adolescence, I was obsessed with like, that record that you release as a band at 22 years old, don't even totally know your instruments. It's just got so much raw power and energy. And I was less interested in like the more refined work. And I, for me, with, you know, tying it to Fish, I, I am almost more interested now in this era of the band than I am what they did in their heyday in the 90s simply because.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: i think there's a lot more emotion in it and i think that you can hear the miles that they've been through in their music and you hear you know when they connect now for a jam and they start to really communicate together in a really you know in intentional way and it leads to something really surprising as well you know you you hear this band that's communicating over 30 years together and that kind of understands each other a little bit better and doesn't need to like be so abrasive in conversation. Um, but also like has a lot of vulnerability. Right. And that aspect of it. And I think about just, they did this a lot last year during the Baker's dozen and at Dick's and then again at, um, Madison square garden over new year's. Um, I think in particular the, um, uh, the Crossout and Painless from The Jam-Filled Night, The No Man in No Man's Land from Dick's, and The um, uh, Steam from 1230 where they have this midsection of the jam that's just like spacious and ambient and almost nothingness happens. And whereas in the past, it would be as though like someone in the band would have something to prove in that moment still. Mm-hmm. they kind of let each other just like float in and out and they kind of give each other their own space to just like toy around with their instruments while like creating this cohesive piece of music that kind of works together. And then that sort of stuff, like, you know, they were making, I don't ever want to take away from what they did in the nineties, which was just outstanding. Um, but it's like an athlete to a, to an extent, to your point, you almost appreciate their latter years because you see the cracks in their steps and you see the jump shot that they can't quite hit every time. And you see the home run that doesn't get over, but you, but, but what you see now is the double, or you see, you know, uh, like the, for a basketball player, like the refinement of their overall game from a defensive standpoint, it's just those sort of things you can't take away from with them.
0: Yeah. It's like the, uh, who was it? Who was the big time power pitcher that did this so successfully? Maybe Glavin. I can't remember. There was somebody who, and and they, and I remember hearing a lot about this because of, uh, Jared Weaver, when he lost all of his velocity and they said, basically, if he can master being a, a location pitcher and, changing up speeds and hitting his spots and changing the batter's eye, then this could potentially work out. And it didn't, but there have been those people that have lost a little bit in their step or whatever. And yeah, it's like you kind of open up to these different things that you can do to be successful. Like in, in golf, I don't know. Do you play golf at all? I don't
2: No, Never, never really. Okay.
0: You've seen happy Gilmore. Totally. So, you know, he's running up and crushing the ball every time and the whole tap it right. in. Thing. <laughs> uh, and when, when I play golf and when I play with my friends and we always kind of, we joke about his dad and his uncle because they're much older than us and they play at a very different pace and they are kind of funny in some of the things that they do. But we always kind of jokingly say when we stand up to the tee that we want to just drive the ball so hard. You want to like Tiger Woods that thing and you end up slicing it or whatever half the time. And if you do this just old man swing, we always call it, and you just are steady and it still goes straight and it may not go as far, but it's like this perfect thing. And I think they are just in their... I I won't say it to their faces. Like if I meet Trey, I won't say, "Hey Trey, you're in your old man swing <laughs> phase right now." But like it is that it is that thing with age that you are there. There's that maturity that they are having, as well as kind of a different level of respect, I think, to one another. And they're like you were saying about Trey's songwriting and everything. I think there is a much deeper. Sincerity and genuineness to all of that, you know, the song for his sister and all of that stuff is just like you said, it's coming with age and it's, uh, it is brilliant right now. It is a great time to have been someone to have experienced the earlier times and now get to hear this as well.
2: Yeah, I feel really lucky to be able to, you know, experience it at this point, especially. You know, after losing it at nineteen and thinking that was just it, you know, and like this, right like thinking at that time that this band that I loved, you know, wondering, well maybe they didn't really mean anything that much. You know, maybe like you know, I've got so mm-hmm. much of my life left to live. I remember <laughs> my mom and I arguing before Coventry and I said, you know, this is like the Beatles. And they, they never they're they're never going to get back together. And she said, fish is not the Beatles. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, my parents are of that generation that saw the Beatles break up after 10 years and they held on to them and passed them on to their kids who passed them on to their kids mm-hmm. because that like memory of what they meant, you know, was so much. And, you know, there was this point I was in my early 20s and I was like, well, is that just what fish is going to be for me as a memory? And, you know, what's funny is, you know, my wife and I met in the uh, quad in our college. Because we, this was 2004, iTunes was relatively new and you could connect to like a larger network. And so it was perfect for college dorms because everybody who had iTunes was connected to this network and um, you could see each other's iTunes library. And she was looking through and she was oh, like, yeah. who the hell is this guy that has all of these fish shows?" And we met <laughs> through that. And years later, we, we started dating and then we got married. And, you know, I, th- I think about like fish getting back together there, like our honeymoon was at Dick's in 2012. and Really? Yeah. And um, we went to Meriwether Post and Magna Ball right before our son was born. And at Meriwether Post, we heard this just amazing version of Piper. And we left the show saying, well, what do we think about the name Piper? And we were like, okay, you know, we we ultimately decided if it's a girl, we didn't know what we were having. We said, if we're having a girl, we're going to name her Piper. And if it's a mm-hmm. boy, Piper will be the middle name. And so we had a son and ultimately named him Wallace Piper. And now it's like, you know, a thing that, his song I sang to him going to bed every night for the last almost three years was Brian and Robert. And now he asks to Uh. have Trey sing his song. So like this band that I thought at one point at 19 was just going to become like a phase I went through that I'd like grow out of has now become like this interconnected piece of my entire family, you know, my, my immediate family and like most of the friends that, i've made throughout the years it's just bizarre yeah. like and and i'm like one of you know thousands of people who have a story like that
0: right totally yeah
2: and it's just it's unbelievable
0: it's so cool part of me to some people who don't get this like want to point at stories like this and say see i'm i i'm not crazy liking music I, this I, much I, I, or i'm not crazy liking sports as much like it really does connect these are those things that you just feel in a special way and obviously not everybody either has that thing or this is that thing to them but these are the things that connect people on that different special level and can be that really weird borderline well not even borderline spiritual bond between uh many many people or between two people or between this small family that can be that glue that kind of solidifies things at all times you know
2: yeah no I mean it's um I mean I'm I'm, I'm a full romantic at heart and you know for me the idea that obviously you need a job and you need to Pay for things, and you need to have a house. You know, you need to have all these like practical things to raise a family and to create a life and have a sustainable, healthy life. And a lot of that stuff is like super fun. You know, trying to make happen Mm -hmm. for me. You know, the thing that's always you know made life worth living, made enriched friendships, enriched relationships, enriched my family is the bond of, of music and, you know, there's you know, other families that may be sports that may be, you know, you know, a thousand other things, who knows, but like music is like this, like connective tissue that and we talked about it, you know, in the last episode that I think has always come down through my family. And, and, it, and it's something that I just, I can't get away from <laughs> I Just can't, can't get away from it. Yeah.
0: And, and I think people who don't even, outwardly recognize that or uh have that sense of them i think a lot of people maybe just don't realize it yeah you know try try watching a movie without a soundtrack or tell tell me that in this movie or this tv show like when that perfect song came on that didn't kick up your goosebumps and you know make you start crying or whatever they're Music is one of those things that kind of permeates all of life, you know. So, totally agree.
2: uh, Totally
0: agree. Yay, music!
1: Yay, music! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: but I, but I, I, I do really think there is is something to that with within a family as well, and within friends. Like, you know, music is kind of one of those things, and I think I'm very fortunate to feel this way about both music and sports because I can walk up, you know, if I've got a fish shirt on and a red Sox hat on or something, I've got two things that I'm walking around and most likely going to have at least one three minute conversation with a stranger about that day. You know, it's just, it's one of those things that can, really pull strangers together in kind of a cool way.
2: Yeah, it's um yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, baseball and basketball are my my two die hard sports. And you know, very rarely will you see me without a Cubs hat on. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, that conversation that I mean I always equate loving like a band like Fish and, and I say this for a lot of bands, but I think Fish really aptly Fits this. It, it's it's the same reason that I love baseball, and it's the fact that you know you have this innate structure. You know, a fish show is two sets, each is going to be around seventy to ninety minutes. You expect them to play more songs in the first set, jam a little bit more in the second set, and then they'll play a one to three song encore depending on how they feel and when curfew is that night. Baseball games, nine innings, three outs each half inning. You know, that the pitchers going to throw pitches, you know, the batters are going to get some balls unless it's a no hitter, which, you know, at least you'll see some hits during that game. Maybe see a home run here and there, but it's within the structure of both of those things. Anything can happen. And I've seen hundreds and hundreds of baseball games. And I've never once seen the same baseball game twice, mm-hmm. In almost 75 fish shows. I've never once seen the same fish show twice, like, this idea that I can experience these things that structurally I know what I'm getting, but I also have no idea what I'm getting
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know conversations with people and community and connection that I don't know it's it's hard to replicate because there's just there's there's a magic that goes into that that you just can't really like explain in a lot of ways, and you also. It's hard to find, (laughs) you know, that's why it's like so special. And you just keep going back to it.
0: Yeah. And it is that thing, like at a sporting event, you know, you are there and at a Cubs game or at a Red Sox game or whatever, somebody hits a home run for your team and you are high-fiving everybody around you and smiling and cheering and enjoying that. And at a concert, you know, they go into their third tweezer reprise right. in of that night or whatever it may be. And you are cracking up and smiling and waving at the person next to you or high-fiving them or even hugging them or whatever. It's like this community that is enjoying this thing together that I, I don't think there is a lot of that. Um, those kind of things that go on in the world that really like can bring People together, you know, it's the whole after nine eleven. Them postponing baseball for a while, and how how much they the thought went into. We need to have baseball again. Right. This is important. This is something that means a lot to these people. That uh, was a very big deal. So I think the recognition of that is definitely out there. Did
2: you root for the Yankees that fall? Be honest.
0: I I did. I I will be honest. I absolutely <laughs> Good. did.
2: And
0: and and honestly for me like um you know of course I was I'm still rooting for the Red Sox and everything and last year I was still rooting for the Bruins, but I was I I got behind the whole Vegas strong thing and the whole Houston strong th- thing um in last baseball season, you know, I I think that especially as a Red Sox fan, knowing how much that 2013 World Series meant and how massive that was for the area and how magical that was, like, why wouldn't I want any um, group of people or area or whatever that is in a little bit of turmoil to experience that uh, same kind of thing, you know?
2: Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I experienced that on like a very, individualistic level. I mean, it wasn't anything like, you know, what what you guys experienced in, what they experienced in Boston, what happened in New York. I mean, those were seismic citywide, you know, um, events, but the year that the Cubs won the world series, my wife was undergoing chemotherapy uh, for, for breast cancer. Mm. And the night that they won the world series, she had had, chemotherapy that morning and um it just like knocked her out for like that day and like the next day and the day after that. And I remember I'll never forget this image in my head of um them surviving the Indians comeback. Yeah. Rain delay and then Zobrist doubling Rizzo to third. And I think I'm pretty sure I haven't watched in a while, and I feel really bad not remembering this exactly. Like <laughs> I mean, not remembering a fish set list, but I'm pretty sure that El Morris scored there, and that was when he and he took the lead, and I think Rizzo scored on the next play, which made it um, eight to six. But I'll I'll never forget when that lead run went in in the tenth. Looking over at my wife, and she was jumping up and down on our couch. arms in the air and like she and I were both bald at the time I shaved my head with her. And, um, you know, she just, I mean looking like she had literally, I mean, she had gotten chemo that morning and looking like she was going through this and you know, so frail and like, um, but like this smile on her face, like these tears running down her eyes. And like that for me, like, would have been the most amazing thing in the world had we had been like normal and healthy and everything was totally fine in our lives. Like if the Cubs win the world series is totally unpredictable, but like because of that huge personal struggle that we were going through, like having that happen on top of it, like it it makes it this like memory that's like layered in so many different ways.
0: Yeah. God, I can, I cannot imagine that must have been, Completely euphoric.
2: Totally. <laughs> I uh, I spent like three hours on the phone with my mom after that. I mean, it's it's funny because if, if you did this podcast about sons' relationships with their moms, I, I would talk to you just about sports uh, <laughs> cause, like.
0: So your mom was the sports, and your dad was yeah. The and music. I mean, not
2: just like like my dad loves sports and my mom loves music, um, but like my mom and I will spend like two hours on the phone together. You know, talking about cap space for the Bulls and um, talking about <laughs> so cool know, the Cubs middle relievers that we just can't stand in any sort of way. And we spent like two and a half hours on the phone that night, just like reciting memories. And I don't think I slept that night. It was it was that was incredible. That <laughs> was the best.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you, like you were saying about you being overseas during the yeah, playoffs. Yeah in thir- was 13 was it 13 yeah, yeah. that you were saying yeah i was uh working in the philippines when uh the red sox won it in 07 uh-huh. and having to it was really weird because the time change is so weird that when i was watching the games uh and everything it was just it was really odd feeling and as well as basically being isolated in this uh, foreign country watching them in a, in a hotel room by myself during the middle of the day yelling and screaming at the tv was pretty surreal. that was my
2: experience listening to fish in 2009 and 2013 i was in korea for both of those years and um couch touring shows at like nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> one of the weirdest experiences you know like they'll come on stage and you know, you're listening to a rock show and then they come on stage for the second set. And I was a I was a teacher when I was there and I worked at a private academy that all the classes were after public school classes. And um so I didn't have to get to be at work until like two or three o'clock in the afternoon most days. And so I could hear the whole fish show and like hearing like a twenty five minute jam, you know, or a fifteen minute jam off of like down with disease at like 11 Mm. o'clock in the morning and then going to work was just like, it was really surreal and weird. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay. So let's go into semi lightning roundish to, um, to wrap this one up. So let's do top. I don't know. You tell me either five or 10 Island albums, no fish.
2: I get this. Um, all right. Um, all right, I'm going The Kinks, uh, Lola, and The Power Man versus The Money Go Round. Um, the War on Drugs, Lost in the Dream.
0: Which you'll hear a lot about, The War on Drugs, on um, your podcast. Yeah, we... <laughs> Who was it? Somebody was making fun of you guys about all your War on Drugs talk?
2: Someone, uh, it was Jonathan Hart. Uh, yeah, yeah said you guys should just turn it into like a drinking game that like when you, whenever you like just throw them into like random places in the in the podcast and um uh, and 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 then tell them to drink and so we, we did it for a long long time and finally we got an iTunes review that said um it it quoted our 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 opening line in the podcast which is the problem with fish fans they only listen to fish and it said, the problem with fish fans, they only listen to fish, And the problem with Beyond the Pond is that they only talk about the war on drugs. It gave us a five-star review, but I, uh, I was like, okay, we probably we probably reached our limit here. Um, <laughs> we're probably pushing it
1: away.
2: Um, but all right, so those are two. Uh, I'm going to go Radiohead. And I'm going to go with Kid A. Mm. Um, U2, The Unforgettable Fire and um last one uh i'm gonna go with something new probably one of my top albums of the decade uh the national high violet i i would Mm. if i had those five albums and i know that there's like 150 that i'm I'm right now but if i had those five albums on kind of constant shuffle i I don't think i would be unhappy uh on the desert island
0: those are solid okay Gosh, could you do top five Desert Island fish shows?
2: Yes. All right. I'm going with. I oh mean, this is hard because every time I think of one, I think of like four around them. <laughs> All
0: right. Uh, I think I did that when I did this with RJ. I think I did it in um, time frames. OK, so I could we could do that. Um, let's, or we could do 1.0, 2.0, 3.0.
2: Okay. I can do that. I can do that. Um, okay. All right. So
0: 1.0, uh, 320,
2: 1992 from Binghamton, New York. Um,
0: is that the tweezer show?
2: No, um, it's, uh, it's just a really classic spring 92 show, which is a really now underrated tour kind of overlooked tour. It's just got a really classic Reba. I mean, the first set is like one of the best first sets they've ever played from a song standpoint. I mean, they just, it, it's like everything that came out in 92 played at just an extreme. Um, there's a really good Mike song, really good week of pog in that show. They played week of pog. Like um, it was like the best song they played that entire tour. Hmm. Um, there's amazing Harry hood. It's uh, a really good brother. It's just it's uh, just a classic like if I ever just want to listen to a fish show, that's thats like that, it that just that's just that's it. I love it so much. Um, so three twenty ninety two. I would say 616, 1995. 725, 1999, one of my all-time favorite shows of all time. 97, I think I would probably go with eleven twenty-one, nineteen ninety-seven. 1997. I love that show so much. Let's see, one more. I think I'm going to go with another 95 and probably go 12195. That's just like mm. a perfect December 95 show, I think. Uh, 2.0, a little bit easier. I would say two twenty o three and two twenty eight o three. I would say seven thirty o three and probably eight two o three. And then one from o four would probably be, I would probably say like six nineteen o four from Spac. Mm-hmm. Then three point This is actually like really hard
0: now. (laughs) Yeah, this is the this is the most difficult one, certainly.
2: Really hard. Um, I gotta have something early. I would say seven three eleven from Super Bowl nine. I think that's just like one of the. I think that's the best pre twenty twelve show that they played. Eight thirty one twelve. The fuck your face show. Um, probably would jump to twenty fifteen and go with. 731 15 from Atlanta. Um, 1230 16, one of my favorite shows I've ever seen. And then probably go to something over the Baker's Dozen. Um, you know, I was at 728 17, and I just think it was, I don't think it was the best show of the Baker's Dozen, but I think it was just kind of like the perfect collection of all elements of the Baker's Dozen. You had jamming, you had really funny songs, you had crazy bust outs, you had an amazing weird cover and you sexy thing and an amazing number oh, yeah. line. Just all around, just like a really like rich, rich show.
0: And had ass-handed.
2: And had an ass-handed. <laughs> uh yeah, the uh uh double or the uh the chocolate rain ass-handed free opener was one of the more bizarre I've ever seen. And that was the first and to this point only time I've ever sat behind the band. And that was um, oh. a really, really cool experience to watch the lights from there and to be able to see the band interact with each other. And I just have like loads of fun memories from that night.
1: Cool.
0: Oh, this is a perfect final question for you. Cool. Okay, you can only have one of these things for the rest of your life oh, no. sports or music oh god <laughs> isn't this tough i've seen people ask this question and i i don't know how i, I would answer it i am curious on yours
2: so i think i probably like there's so many reasons why i shouldn't say this but like there's two answers um I think I'm gonna say, this is you. You can only live with one, so you choose one. Yeah, right. Yeah, right.
0: that you're having. And, and I would say from this point forward, so you can have everything you've already had with both of these <laughs> things, but you just can't. And I don't know if that makes it easier or not.
2: I think I would say music, um, because I've I've had this thought many times that um, if I ever went deaf, it would be like the worst thing in the world yeah?
1: mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. You
2: know how I could live without music and um I you know will watch baseball games and we'll have the sound off and have music on and
1: mm-hmm. music.
2: but yeah it's not that's not an easy answer because like that is taking away like a huge part of my soul <laughs> yeah like I, yeah, I, I, I love like I, I don't know if, if you've ever seen the, the Ken Burns baseball. Uh, yes. Documentary.
0: I actually just watched one of the episodes again, like a week ago. That I
2: love that. Just like speaks right to my soul. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think if I lost that perspective, you know, cause like for music, music to me is like that, like just like emotional. It like is the bind. It ties everything together, but like sports, is more in line for me with like my absolute love of politics and history in the sense that, like, you can take sports and you follow it in a historical sense and it explains so much about society. You really start to look at it, you know, in American society, you just take baseball, for example, and you look at civil rights, you know, disagreements and you look at the immigration crises that we've been dealing with and not you know the most immediate most egregious one just the fact that we have you know a a challenge as a country that we are becoming more diverse and what does that mean and you look at baseball and you look at what baseball looked like 40 years ago and it was mainly white and black players and now it's mainly latino players Mm -hmm. you know it's like Baseball has always told this history of America in both the positives and the negatives and the challenges of every step along the way. And so like that aspect of sports, like I just, yeah, (laughs) this is hard. It's hard, man, but I'm going to stick with my answer just because, uh,
0: well, if you didn't, you would have to get rid of your podcast.
2: (laughs) Exactly. I don't, I don't (laughs) have a beyond the field baseball podcast.
0: Beyond the Dugout (laughs) (laughs) with Brian Brinkman.
2: Yeah, I went through a big period uh, when I was living in Korea the last time where I I read a lot of David Halberstam, who was a sports writer and American historian. And he wrote really great book on Michael Jordan and he wrote an amazing book about the 1950s, but he wrote these two books about baseball. One of them is called uh summer of 49 and the other one's called October 64 and summer of 49 is about the pennant race between the Red Sox and the Yankees that year. And um, October 64 is about the 1964 world series covers the whole season, but it's mainly about the world series where the Cardinals, this team of predominantly black players took down the Yankees who were Mickey Mantle, Maris, mm-hmm. you know, just the, the, the kind of American dream Yankees teams of the early sixties. And he writes there, there you have to read one after the other. Um, mm-hmm. because He really gives you the snapshot of immediate post-war America. and, he the way he ties in what was happening society you know within society in america within baseball is so just it's perfect and and it shows how you know sports is it's a game and it's players may be overpaid the whole thing may be filled with way too much money and corruption at this point in time but like there's a reason why you continue to come back to baseball every spring and why you introduce your kids to it and why, you know, for you, for me, you know, when the Red Sox lose, when the Cubs lose, like it feels like something greater than you just losing a baseball. Mm-hmm.
1: You know,
2: like, yeah, totally. There's a reason totally. for it and it's, it's tied into this like larger story that we're all living in and it parallels it and it weaves in and out of it and, and I love that aspect of it. So as much as I'm talking about sports, maybe I can't live without sports. I don't know. (laughs) I'm like sitting here like justifying that.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're in the same exact spot as me where it's (laughs) basically an impot. There's no winning either way.
2: Yeah. I I just don't know what I would do without that like moment of, um, you know, be it any song I've ever heard that like pops for a second and like it, you get chills down your entire spine. Mm-hmm. Like that feeling, nothing. My wife always says her favorite sound in the entire world is a fish crowd. And, um, and like the sound of a fish crowd that like, that's like swell of cheer and, and, and emotion. And, and that's something that like, I just couldn't lose that, you know, that, that whole aspect of music I couldn't lose.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Well, let's, wrap this up i'll let you again tell people where to uh find you and all of your musings on the cubs and music and uh everything else
2: yeah (laughs) yeah if you care about um the way i feel about the state of the world or (laughs) my kid or the cubs you can find me at suffering juke uh suffering juke j-u-k-e and I co-host a podcast along with David Goldstein called Beyond the Pond. It's a, like I said in the last episode, it's a podcast for fish fans who are looking to kind of use the music of Fish to really learn about a lot of other bands and artists, typically kind of away from the jam band scene. Uh, we have a Medium page that you can read some a bit about each of our episodes. It's Medium.com/slash Beyond the Pond. We're pretty active on Twitter at underscore beyond the pond and um yeah we uh post every other tuesday we're actually i don't know when you're going to post this um but we we are going to be posting a lot this summer as fish tour unfolds but um most of the year you can find us posting every other tuesday and um yeah it's a ton of fun and would love for you to check us out and hope you enjoy it
0: yeah and i would go out a little bit on a limb and say you don't maybe even absolutely i mean maybe some episodes a little more than others but you don't have to be a fish fan to listen to your podcast i think
2: that's kind of the balance we try to strike
0: yeah I, i i think that there's a bunch that i have listened to where thinking back and and i haven't like listened to them with this intent in mind but i would think that still the music that you guys are talking about and opening up to some people who haven't heard it before and and potentially it may turn these non-fish fan people a little bit into fish fans too but i think that there is definitely a something to be had with all of a, a music fan of any sort to get out of your episodes so just just letting you guys know, you don't have to be fish heads or have meandered through a parking lot hearing people <laughs> whispering weird things in your ears uh, as you're looking for that heady grilled cheese yeah, we, in we, order to like that podcast. We split
2: the we split each episode into like halves. In the first half, we tend to talk a bit kind of inside basebally about um, whatever fish jam we're playing and kind of the Context around that, but once we get through that, we um, spend the back half of the episode talking about four to six bands that we're super into that we think have some connection musically to the piece of music that we played from Fish. And so, yeah, 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 I think um, you know we've definitely met people who listen to the podcast who are not huge Fish fans, and they kind of you know get through us talking about specific Fish dates and very specific fish kind of terms. And then they're like really stoked when we jump into all the other stuff that we go go over.
0: Yeah. So definitely make sure you guys check out all that stuff. And again, I will say uh, I really appreciate all the time that you have spent and for you also um, sticking it out on our um, journey of finally getting to this point of recording these episodes i'm really happy that we took this time and i expect to have a lot more conversations about music and baseball with you me
2: too man this has been a really enjoyable night i sincerely appreciate you bringing me on and you do a really awesome job getting some stories out of people i I was super excited to see kind of where this all what direction this went into and i I, I feel really happy to talk to you about this this is great
0: Thank you. I think we could have done a third, and maybe we will someday.
2: <laughs> that would be great. All right Lose down.
0: Cool. All right, and that is the end of my conversation in completion with Brian Brinkman. I hope you guys all enjoyed that as much as I did. And it's been a long time coming for he and I to have that conversation. And it really was... I'm not just saying this, and I'm not just saying this in hopes that Brian's listening to it. It really was a very fulfilling, fantastic conversation for me. I can't say it enough. I really do get a personal benefit out of these conversations as well. I'm making some new relationships and friendships with these people... And I hope that you are getting some of those connections as well, as well as being inspired by some of the stories that we are hearing and some of these life's journeys and the hurdles that people are going through like Brian has and his family and his wife. And I don't don't know, I, I was really excited about these episodes and this conversation with Brian. So I hope that they hit you that way as well. If you are on Twitter, look up Brian at Suffering Juke. Check out Beyond the Pond podcast. And then if you are looking for Daddy Unscripted, Daddy Unscripted is on Twitter, is on Instagram, is on Facebook, all as Daddy Unscripted. You can send me an email on your thoughts of this conversation or other guests that you would like me to talk to or even any kind of constructive criticism or anything you have for me daddyunscripted at gmail.com is where you want to get hold of me or you can contact me through twitter or instagram or facebook again i will say thank you to Umphrees mcgee for allowing me to have their music in all of my episodes i love being able to have that so check them out at Umfreeze.com and make sure that you check out some of these other podcasts not just beyond the pond But some of the other podcasts that are part of the Osiris Podcast Network, you can go to OsirisPod.com to see the full list. But I really have enjoyed, I sent this to the group uh, in a conversation to um, the other podcasts involved just today saying how cool it is that I'm able to go through my podcast app, be done with a podcast and scroll through all of these cool podcasts that are a part of the Osiris Network and decide what I want to listen to next. And they are so different. I'm not just looking at a bunch of music podcasts. I'm not just looking at a bunch of true crime podcasts or whatever. The variance is so vast in the network. There's so many great ones and so many great hosts and content and guests. So make sure you check that out. Find some of that out for yourself at OsirisPod.com. Which is, have a nice day in Uzbek. So have a great day, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Keep your eyes out for the next episode, which should be in a week or two. I promise.